Hello and welcome to another episode of the Post Ride Cafe. I'm Sam. This is Aaron. And welcome to episode 21. How you doing, man? Tired. It's, yeah. it's back to the uh, tired. It's true. Well, it's back. Uh, we got to do a group ride. It's a little sneak peek. But uh, this week's episode, we're going to cover some more team breakdowns. <clears throat> we're going to have AG2R Le Mondial and Bahrain McLaren to look forward to, which sounds like we might be talking a lot of shit. I mean, always. Yeah. And then also we're going to be touching on, <clears throat> we talked about it last week, the Lance Armstrong Part 1, 30 for 30 ESPN. And then also I wanted to touch base on a couple little topics, Bookman's Eppersting Challenge, and also there was an article on Cycling News about Dumoulin and his time at Sunweb. So that's what we'll be covering today. But first, how can people get a hold of us? Yeah, they can get to us on Instagram at Post Ride Cafe and on Twitter at Post Ride Cafe as well. Yep, and those will be in the show notes as well as our Strava profile. So feel free to come by, say hello, like us, friend us, hate on us, whatever. I mean, I'm hoping for the hate. That's true. <laughs> Thrive on the hate. Yeah. Right, let's get right into it. Strava stats of the week. Stats. Uh, well, I did 95 miles. This is my, uh, you know, schedule. Just right under 100 every week. Can't ever seem to quite get there. Unfortunately, I would have. We had a uh, couple flats. Oh, we had a yeah. really bad day on the, on the bike on Saturday, just flats everywhere. It was terrible. Uh, and then I ended up getting about 2,000 feet of climbing, so kind of kind of a low weekend climbing for me. Yeah, low weekend climbing for me as well. Um, but I did 170 miles and 3,700 feet of climbing. Yeah. Well, let's get right into it. Our ride of the week, I think we can agree it's the same. Yeah, I think so. We did a group ride. Dude, it was it was good to be in a group ride. Yeah, we went to the uh, Shade Tree ride. Uh, they I think it just started up this week, and yeah, it's nice to kind of be around and and get back into it. Yeah, I mean it, it's totally different. I mean we you know we had just been either riding solo or riding together, um, and we can push ourselves or each other yeah. a bit. Completely different of <laughs> riding yeah. in a group because I was like, oh yeah, like get on the front and you know, pull 23, 24, next person, you know, they're pulling at 28 and, you know, yeah. we're going at 30. Like it's, and you can hold that a little bit easier in a group, kind of, but. It's true. Yeah, yeah it was, no, it was pretty fun. It was nice to kind of be back in a group setting. And, you know, I'm sure we can speak for just about anybody. We're going to, people are going to be experiencing that over the next couple of weeks or months where places are opening up and people are getting back to group rides. We, you know, there's a couple different shops that all started this week, and we were able to go out to this one this morning. And yeah, I mean, you know, it's a little bit modified, but still, you just get to go out there and just ride hard. You know, for me, I had a pretty decent day. I've been kind of up in my rides. You know, I've been cresting close to that 100 the last few weeks, and yeah, it felt pretty good. I even was able to get a few pulls in, which I've been looking forward to. You know, like I said, my goal is to get into the A group and be able to hopefully tag along onto that thing for most of it and so part of that transition is i, I want to be able to p do some pulls and, and grow myself in the b group so i can get myself ready to be in the a group i think that's what that's how it happens is once you're strong enough to be doing the majority of the work in the b group then you're going to be able to keep up in the a group because i mean you're not going to be doing work then but you can at least stick with them and because i think it kind of shows the um the stamina that you can you can do yeah. that if you can pull for half the ride or you know whatever a good amount of the ride mm -hmm. then you you can keep up with 
yeah. some people mid-pack or whatever. Yeah, and definitely. I mean, for me, I've, I've been on this ride with Shade Tree three or four times, and each time I come back, more people recognize me. I'm recognizing some people. And, you know, when you first show up to these, you kind of feel like an outsider, and you, you are an outsider. And, you know, they're welcoming and friendly, but, you know, once you come a few times, then it's it's different, you know, and you kind of yeah. get... You know, you're you're a little more in the fold, and I feel less. When I first went, it's like I just want to hang on. I just want to see how this works. I'm not yeah. gonna just jump into pulling or what. It's not my place, and so I'm just trying to sit back. And I mean, the first few times, and even now, it's like I'm still getting spit out and catching. I'm doing the yo-yoing thing, and uh, as I develop that stamina and strength, and and just being more comfortable. Now that I've been there three or four times, I just felt more comfortable going to the front and, and taking a pull. Yeah, it's a your comfort level, and then. Probably not, you know, maybe even consciously, but everybody else's comfort level because you you get to know styles and and mm-hmm. how how people react in a group. And if if it's your first time or second time, people you know it's the first time they've seen you or they don't remember you, so they're yeah. like, we don't know how this person rides, and we don't know if they're comfortable in a group. We don't know if they can climb really well, if they could do this, if they could do that. Like, mm-hmm. so I think that's also and then just getting to know people but that's also part of the repetition yeah one small also shout out hooked me up on uh, some tubeless tires and setting them up and did it like basically same day picked them up opened up the shop early this morning so i could get my wheels on and and going with the group so that was super nice of them yeah shade tree i mean just to kind of give a little uh they're in the central north phoenix i guess and they really focus in on uh, maintenance and bike repair and stuff. That's their yeah. that's their bread and butter, and that's what they they really like to do. You know, a small shop, so to speak, but they have their excellent service. Yeah, and it kind of makes like this core group where like people love their service and people love their group rides, and and that's what they focus on. It's yeah, you're saying. I mean, they have a few bikes there, and I'm sure they could order whatever you needed, but. It's not just bikes all over the walls, you know, mm-hmm. to buy. Like, it, it doesn't seem like their thing. Yeah, and they also do, you know, I think during the week they do, I don't know when they're going to restart them or whatever, but they do a lot of mountain bike group rides during yeah. the week. Or not, like, huge, but just if you want to come along, they do some... Yeah. There's a couple trails around there, and so they ride from the shop and do some mountain bike rides during the week, if that's your thing. Got it all. Not my thing, because I don't have a good mountain bike, but, you know, and I work. But I mean, options are there. And I don't have mountain bike handling skills, so... <laughs> That's true. Dude, one thing about this ride, so at the very end, you know, it's about 36 miles, so... Uh, the worst part. It's uh, it's a good ride. You get a lot, decent amount of climbing compared to other group rides, and uh, it's a little good mix of everything. You mm-hmm. know, you have a couple good flat spots, a couple good climbing areas, and, you know, at the very end, they end up going over this bridge, and then there's just... You go down these ramps that are, like, little zigzags or whatever, and... I usually like those types of things, and like the first time I did it, I didn't do it very well. I was already blown out at the back, so no one was there or whatever. But today, I kind of realized those are actually a little wider than the one we do over 12th Street. Oh. Or or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's not 12th Street, but Campbell or whatever. That one is very narrow. So making that, I'm not very good at right hand. I was going to say, it's, it's that right hand turn is what it is. I can make the left, but the, like yeah. you come in and you swoop back on the right, and I feel like my body weight is just off and I'm going to fall over and I did hear somebody say the first time that they did that as part of the group ride like two people crashed yeah. in in there sure I think the you know this is goes back to you know it's an opportunity to learn and grow and so for sure it's an area where like when you're in a group ride you're less desiring to like 
learn something new because you're not wanting to be in the way or like make a fool of yourself or, or whatever it is, you know? But if you like go to the back or even at another time, like I actually slowed down and clipped back in and just did the whole thing clipped in, which usually I'd take one foot out and as a balance lever. And that's what I was doing. Um, <laughs> and it works great for left-hand turns, but with the right-hand cornering, I don't know what the difference is because I'm the same way. I'm very comfortable with left-hand 180-degree hairpins, but right turns, I just feel less comfortable. Dude, I'm kind of, I was like, of a thought. I had seen uh, an ad, like, maybe it was on Instagram or Facebook or something, for a, a local, um, like, mountain bike clinic. Like, you mm -hmm. know, they teach you skills and stuff like that. And I was like, I wonder if, like, wonder if we take one of those classes or something just just to learn cornering better and be like, all right, somebody who knows what they're doing, they're like, this is where your body position is and that's why it feels like this. Yeah, exactly. Like, maybe you have to do something that feels opposite, but it actually puts you in a better position. I, I don't know, but I'm sure there's a way to learn this. Oh, I obviously well yeah, yeah. lots I'm of just, people are doing it well, i'm very just saying you know you're starting when you're older and stuff like that like it's it's different than you're like oh yeah i've been like riding a bike or this handling or whatever forever and so it's yeah. it's just second nature but like you know you're older so it's hard to like i don't want to take a risk or something yeah. like that i don't know if it's besides like the drivetrain like everything on the bike and on you as a human is symmetrical so I don't know why making a left hairpin is so much different than a right hairpin. I can't, I, I just don't know what happens there if you just make more lefts. We should definitely look into it. Dude, we could uh, hit, out in your backyard, we'll hit some grass and some cones or something. Dude, we could. That'd be nice. I don't know. Um, yeah. Overall, it was just nice to be back. I mean, yeah. that's, that's the end result. And For sure. So I did a lot better in that section. I did a lot better overall. I think some of it, it was humid out and it was a little warm. And so Sweating some people buckets. just... <laughs> Some people just are affected differently, and, and I don't know, I just, I had a pretty decent day. It's tough for me because I drink a ton of water on the ride, and like two bottles, even if they're the big 25 ounces, it's just not enough. Yeah. Everyone else is like, still has water. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I had a touch of water, but it was just, the problem for me is I just get, I think I'm sweating so much, and it just gets hot. Like, I can't, that's why I like usually dump water on myself. Like, I can't cool down mm -hmm. after a certain point. And like drinking water, like the the last time where I'd ridden was real hot and late, like I felt like I needed to drink water, but I like didn't even want it anymore because I think I was drinking plenty of water. I was just hot. Like yeah. I couldn't do anything to cool down. Huh. Yeah, I don't know. I just suck it down, man. I'm like every 10 miles I go through a bottle. Oh, yeah. And, and I, I, I really... think I'm more at like 20 for a bottle. It would be nice. I, I had to like, I didn't drink for like the first five or six miles to kind of like give me a buffer, but <laughs> it was tough. Anyway, let's just jump into, we got some cycling news I wanted to touch on this week. Uh, a couple things. I saw an article on cycling news this morning, it looks like. Uh, Dumoulin had had an interview, and he kind of talked a little bit about his time at Sunweb and why he wanted to leave. And basically, it was being a sole leader was too much pressure for him. And, you know, if he didn't do well, then it's like, it just too much pressure, and then he probably just did worse or whatever. Yeah. And like... I'll be honest, I kind of was disappointed because, you know, he went to he went to Jumbo Visma and he loves this, you know, three-pronged approach because if he's doing well, the team will support him. If he's not doing well, then he can work for somebody else. And I don't know. I, I think if you're like, you would never hear that from Chris Froome or Lance or oh, no way. anybody. You know, they would never be like, ah, oh, it's too, like if it's too much to be the only person. It's like, that's the dream scenario if you're 
have that hunger. And I guess what that tells me is he doesn't have that hunger and drive to be the best at all costs. Like, he's really good, and obviously he trains really hard, but he doesn't have the mental capacity to do that. And, and I, I don't know if I doubt I would, you know, but the, the greats of the sport are the ones that do. And so yeah. he's just missing that little thing, and I don't know what that means, but it just it was a little shocking. And It's kind of odd to me just because he's done so well, and I feel like, I mean, him coming back, like, the whatever shit gate poop gate uh, whatever poop gate is one of the best whatever you want to call it but him like the mental drive to come back and chase them down like that's not easy so yeah. maybe it's a different type of pressure yeah but like i've seen him go like world championships he was insanely like no yeah world championships the one where valverde won uh oh, that, one. that uphill where he was going and climbing like insane like with these like pure climbers and because I mean, everybody who was left was basically, you know, the three that were there were basically pure climbers or, mm -hmm. and like just going insane on that. And I don't know, like I was trying to think about it, maybe like starting as a time trialist where there's a different pressure, like he's okay with the personal pressure that he puts on himself. Cause sure. that I think is more of a solo thing and a more personal pressure and dive or drive that you're putting that on, on yourself and he mm -hmm. can handle that. And maybe that's why he can go real hard and, and dig like that in those situations. But if the team's like, Hey man, we got you. Like we have nothing else. I mean, who else did they have? I guess like, that's a fair point. I didn't think of it that way. Like the only other person they had at the time was Michael Matthews. And it's yeah. But I mean, just in general, may maybe that's like where it stems from because like I was saying, time trials are such a solo personal thing where it's, it's you against the clock, like it's yeah. as hard as you can push yourself and maybe it's just a different kind of pressure that that he enjoys or can handle. Yeah. It makes me wonder if he really enjoys the Grand Tour experience. I feel like he does. Like, I feel like that was kind of pushed on him after that that Vuelta where he almost won and I, he, you know, I don't know. This is obviously just... It may just, give him the belief he could do it. And... Yeah. Like, maybe he was, like, kind of, like, oh, excited about it. But then they were definitely excited about it. And were like, all right, we can turn you into this. Cause sort of the Rohan Dennis situation where... Yeah. He tried to do the same thing, and then he cracked. And he's like, I just can't do that. And that's why he ended up leaving and going to Ineos, like, where he doesn't have that pressure to be a GC guy. Yeah. Because he doesn't have it either. Very well could be true. I don't know. Maybe that's the case. I mean, at the very minimum, he's won the Giro in a beautiful fashion. I mean, like, oh yeah. I mean, I think he's he's won enough. And if he wants to focus on, I mean, he could probably do some awesome, gain a little weight, do some Robay, or he did say he back to, to his do that. back to his time trial kind of roots. But yeah. it'll be know. interesting to see how that develops in the next couple of years. See if this is like the precursor to saying, I don't really like doing Grand Tours. Yeah, like, I, I could be see a, it. A domestique and go back to doing his own thing. Yeah. Which is fine. It takes a lot to just admit that, right? So, I just thought it was an interesting thought piece I wanted to get into. Uh, next piece of news, it looks like uh, what Bookman had his... We talked about this last week. Uh, Bookman was going to do an Everesting charity challenge. And he thought he set the record, but in the end, the technicality, he didn't do his uh, all of his repeats on the same... Yeah, same. He, yeah, that's he went the same up hill. one side and then down the back and then just did the back the rest of the times and yeah. so he counted the first lap up the mountain on the other side. So yeah, still cool to see and and even some of the photographs he was like 
you know, cheering and the people he was with. It was kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fine either way to not have it or not have it. And we were kind of talking. Yeah. I think any, you know, climbers or certain current pros could smash out the record or, you know, and take it from the the Keegan Swenson or whoever has it now if they really wanted to. Like, yeah. Well, I think the pros are, they're not that interested. And also, B, it's like, Everesting is sort of for amateurs and stuff as like something fun to achieve. And yeah. so to have some pros come in and smash it doesn't really like. It's kind of like a Strava thing. It's just yeah. like, well, that's, it's not like, oh, it's not going to go on your Palmares. It's yeah. not, it's not a real win I, yeah. of anything. It's just a different type. So I, I think it'd be inappropriate for a pro to come in and try to smash it or something. It's just part of the spirit of Everesting is more of just the fun challenge. And that's the same kind of thing. That's definitely of like a time trial or personal where it's just, it's all your own mental drive. Mm -hmm. I mean, granted, I thought I, at some point it would be fun to do an Everesting thing, but I'd also just never sit on my bike for more than four hours. So it's like, would be really tough. Yeah, I don't know if I, I could. I probably don't want to attempt. I'd seen a few people that I was riding with in Boulder went and went out to attempt. And I don't know if all of them, if any of them made it or not, but it just looks so hard and, and they were putting out like long rides, like a mm -hmm. couple hundred mile rides beforehand yeah. and had done, I, I know they had done like super long rides and stuff that, yeah, that I hadn't done and still not being able to do it or yeah. taking, you know, it takes forever if you're yeah. not a pro. It's <laughs> you're going to be on there for 12, 14 hours or something. Yeah. It's really weird because when you think about it, you're like, oh, 28,000 feet, like I've done you know, five or 6,000, like, I, for some reason, it just seems like not that much. You're like, oh, I just, you got to do SOMO 28 times or whatever. Like, it doesn't seem like a lot, but when you actually, like, think about it and think of the time, it, like, just does take a lot of time. Yeah, I think I've done, like, 7,000 one day, and, I mean, more than three times that, you know, four times that. Yeah, four times that. Yeah. That's crazy. It is. It's a big difference. Yeah, I just... Never thought about it that way. Well, yeah, one day. I don't know. I, I probably will never do it either. Yeah. Get to our last topic here. Lance Part 1, the ESPN 30 for 30. Yeah, we got to watch that. And the next one, I think, comes out today or whatever. But we'll watch that this week. But we got to watch the first half. What was? Uh, what did you think about it? Uh, I guess I didn't know like too much about his like original roots. Um, yeah. And like the whole triathlon stuff that he kind of started in which i guess is not surprising because just bike racing wasn't as big at the time mm -hmm. so he started in that i mean it's it's also probably not surprising but i didn't know 100 percent that he was just a dick from the start yeah ever since he was like a 15 year old yeah he's, he's 15 an and like started showing up adults which i mean i guess you can be but yeah yeah he was already doing that right from the start and everyone was like waiting to see this Lance person because, you know, he's just in Texas and starting to meet, uh, like, the USA team and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. and everyone was like, oh, they're like, that's Lance. And he's just ripping into people. Yeah, exactly. It was very interesting. You know, like you had said, I didn't know much about him before even just the Tour de France stuff in 99 after the cancer. Like, watching some of his early Peloton stuff when he was just getting into when he's on Motorola and just getting into European cycling back when he was like 21 
and kind of seeing his early development in the world tour was interesting. You know, obviously, I, you know, I knew he won the world championships, but like that was still pre-cancer. And so it's like a different part of his career. Most people don't talk about. And yeah. even then, like people thought he was an asshole, you know? Oh like, yeah. He's always just been that way. And, and the one thing I will say, like, I think his attitude has changed a little bit after everything kind of came out. You know, when he first came out and he was talking to Oprah, he was still kind of that asshole. And I think he's obviously always going to be a little, you know, some amount of, of a prick, but I think he's mellowed out and, like, it's been good for him to kind of go through all that process and now have all that time since. And I think he's really kind of... I think he's in a better space just on how he presents himself. He doesn't have that same, like, look. Yeah. Like, when you watch him in interviews before everything came out, and then... Just aggressive. Like... Even when he's doing the Oprah interview, he just has that, like, fucking crazy look. And I think he just has a lot less of that. And I think he's a lot more Probably. at peace with himself and, like, more calm. But he still obviously has that in him. But he just seems a lot... I don't know if happier is the right word, but he just seems more at peace with himself, which is it's always a good sign to see, but... Yeah, very interesting. I'm kind of curious how part two goes. I found part one to be kind of boring, I guess. Well, it's like it has less drama in the sense that it's basically the rise, but not even up until the point that he's he's just won like one Tour de France is, yeah. is kind of where it ends. Mm -hmm. At least our version, because for some reason when you buy the ESPN subscription, as compared to like if you have a... A cable provider subscription it's a half hour less yeah i was so I thinking about that i don't know if there's like commercials on that one and this one is oh. sans commercials but it is weird to see it one says two hours and then the one we watch says an hour and a half or whatever maybe it is commercials maybe it could we're very well maybe we're lucking out but but yeah i think two things that i found the most interesting was when he trained with michael ferrari one of the things they talked about was he never i can't remember exactly i listened to a podcast uh, a couple weeks ago that had him on and he was talking about how he never trained above threshold ever yeah and so they only used races to try train you know to ride above threshold because that was the whole point of it so they did most of their riding at lower tempos and not pushing himself to the limits it was almost like i wouldn't say it was always zone two but it was always lower intensity than you imagine you know it kind of goes back to that building up a base and building up base yeah. miles and all that so it was interesting for for that uh, i thought and then the other thing was you know, you always hear about Postal Service and they're this well-oiled machine and all this. But the way they made it, you know, talking with the team and talking with Johan Bernil and the show, they pretty much were like, the first year in 99, like, they just had no idea what they were. All just a bunch of green oh yeah, team as far as, like, leading a Tour de France and being in yellow and all that. Because I don't think they were really expecting to win that year. And they weren't expecting to be in yellow day one either, right? So it was just a... From all the, you know, future Tour de France's, they, they learned based off of their first one and got really good and really dialed in. But it seemed like the first one was kind of a random luck that they all just kind of did well. And like, besides all the drugs. But, yeah, I was know, like, they were like, wow, this stuff really works. That's also true. I think a big thing that they were, I guess he was initially like kind of adamant of like against EPO and he's like, he goes to Europe and all these guys are using it and he's like this stuff's everywhere he was using other things he said but he was initially against it and was just like basically like there's there's no other way to compete and that was the attitude of pretty much every writer that was interviewed on on here yeah you know not just him where he's trying to give himself a pass but he's like 
every writer was like, this is the only way you can compete. Like, if you don't want to do drugs, we're not taking you to the Tour de France team. Like, you're off, yeah. the, you're not on the team. That was like, the guy from the Festina team. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, as much as Lance gets all the brunt of the whole drug stuff and they make him out to be, like, the only person who ever did drugs ever because it's an easy scapegoat, the reality is, like, he's singled out because he's a complete asshole. Yeah. And that's fine. But also, you know, it's because the French hate everybody that is not French. I think my favorite part of this, that's part one was, oh, yeah. uh, I forget the guy's name, but he was one of the old ex-pro cyclists, and um, he was just commenting on, like, the personality type of the different... Of every country. Of every country. Like, you know, you had the Italians were very laid back and excited, or the, the Spanish were laid back and kind of chill, and then the Italians were always, like, really excited and like to celebrate and very, you know, one way, and then the, like the Germans, Germans were very, like, rigid and had training programs, you know, which, going back to the 80s and 90s with the Olympics, like, you know, they were, them and the Russians were very, like, yeah, you know, steroids and regiment and really strict. And then they're like, the French, he's like, how can I say this? You know, and they're like, they just feel so superior to everybody. And I was like, that's so fucking true. Well, yeah, because they were like, the French were like, we have the Tour de France. It's the biggest race. So, then, yeah, exactly. Like, we have the history of cycling. So everybody kind of has to, like, be beneath us. Like, yeah. You you can you're allowed to come to our race is basically their their attitude. Yeah, which you know to one aspect, yeah, you're right. The Tour de France is the biggest race, but also, you know, it's been a long time since the French have won the Tour. Yeah, de France. I was like, it doesn't mean you have the best riders. It just yeah. means you have the best race or the biggest race or whatever you want to say. Exactly. It still hurts me to cheer on Alaphilippe, but yeah, I was like, well, with that we can get into a, a French team. That's right. Our first team of our team episodes this week. We're going down the. Reverse order from the lowest ranked up to the highest ranked. So we're on 13, uh, ranked 13 anyway. It's AGR, AG2R Le Mondial, which I think they are an insurance. Because last week we were talking about Groupama, Groupama. FDJ, and yeah. what they were, and Groupama is an insurance company, and FDJ is the lottery. I don't know why the lottery, like Mega Millions, needs to sponsor a team here, dude. I mean, they do that with like a Yumbo... What was it? Lotto. Oh, Lotto. Lotto. Lotto Sudal. Yeah, yeah. And I think even the other one Lotto is, Yumbo is still... Yumbo um, Visma is also a lottery. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know why Mega Millions doesn't sponsor a team. Um, but yeah, so 2019 stats, they were ranked 13th, which was down two places from 2018. They had 14 victories, two in the World Tour, with one of them being a Grand Tour stage. In 2018, as a comparison, they had 15 victories, three World Tours, two of them stages. So... Basically the same. Yeah. Uh, identity of the team, they're kind of a GC team and definitely a strong GC and then some stages. And then as far as key signings, they didn't really pick up too many. They picked up Lawrence Nason, so coupled him up with his brother Oliver, and they didn't really have any key losses. Um, you know, kind of like Groupon FDJ, they didn't, it seems like these French teams in general are a little more stable. They don't have a lot of in and out uh, every year. So, what about think, key riders? Oh, I was going to say, I think because I feel like they pull a lot of, they keep French riders on there, mm -hmm. and then they pull a lot from their feeder teams and Correct. things like that, and so it's, a lot of the other teams are just like, we don't care who's on our team, you know, we... That's the one, that's one thing in particular that I can give respect to French teams for. Like, they definitely develop their riders at a young age, and feed them into their own world tour teams, and yeah. I think that's pretty cool. But yeah, they're, so their uh, key losses didn't really see much on there, uh, and key riders would be Romain, Bar Romain Bardet, 
Pierre Latour, Sylvain Delier, and Oliver Nason. Yep. Uh, so real quick, what are your thoughts? I always love this part. What are your thoughts on AG Tour? Um, I don't know why, but I mean, all these French teams, I'm like, ah, I don't really know. I guess it kind of goes, my thoughts would be based around Romain Bardet, where he just doesn't cut it. Like as a Grand Tour rider, it's it's a thing that we always talk about and we saw they they mentioned specifically in the in the Lance documentary if you want to win the Grand Tour, you need to know how to time trial. Like yeah. there was a lot more time trial miles then than there are now. Yeah. But it still holds true and like these mm-hmm. guys never work on it and he's terrible at the time trial. Absolutely yeah. terrible. So, you know, Oliver Nason, I like as a classics rider, so I, I feel like they have some cool classics team, you know, that, mm-hmm. that I would root for. But, yeah, it's just one of those kind of weird French things for me. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of in the same boat. I do like AG2R's jerseys. I've always liked oh, that no. look. The brown? Well, like the little Argyle look. Oh, I don't, think I don't like their jersey at all. Anyway, for me, it's, it's two things. It's... I don't know. I like weird designs sometimes, but also it's it's easy to spot. It's easy to recognize, which I really yeah. like. Especially when I first started watching, I you know it was easy to know. Oh, that's the ones that look like Argyle, and that, you know, so it was easy for me to pick them out. So that helped me. Um, but I do feel the same way. I don't like Roman Bardet. Like pretty much just everything you just said, I agree with. Like he doesn't work on his time trial. He thinks he's so superior at climbing and all these things, and it just hasn't cut it for him. And, you know, when we had that lull of GC riders, when it was him and Pino at the time, and then also uh, Nairo, like, podium, like, it was pretty much Roman Bardet and Nairo were going to podium the tour. Like, it was already, everyone already knew the podium. Yeah. Like, there wasn't that much competition, and so Bardet was young at the time, and he was, you know, we always love talking about these next great hopes, but he was the French hope, and I think there was a lot of pressure on him, but he just doesn't have what it takes. And so I'm glad we'll get to this, but he's not doing it this year, I don't think. But yeah, I, I thought what I liked about their team and what I do like is that they do go into breaks and stuff, and so that's nice. But yeah, I just don't have a feeling about them one way or the other. Which brings us to our topics. I feel like they're lost as a world tour team. Yeah, because I I would say, like in, if comparing just to another French team, Groupama, I think they, one, they know who they are identity-wise. We're, we're working for Pino. But I think they did things. They went out and, like, they made themselves a, a very good team time trial team. Mm-hmm. And they worked on that. I saw them, you know, kind of working on descending. Like, they went out and were like, this is... Well, Pino in general, yeah. 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 But lots of things. I think they put all the pieces together and they worked on what they needed to. Mm-hmm. I don't think, like you said, they didn't really bring in too many different people, but everybody worked on what they needed to, and they kind of restructured. Yeah, but they were that. growing as a team. Yeah, I don't. I agree. I don't see that happening with AG2R. Yeah, I think that now with, you know, Bardet, like, what's he gonna do? I think it's more. I mean, they're like, well, so then, do we start looking at Delia and Nason for kind of classics? Well, I and, think they've started that path. Well, yeah, but it's like, is that so? Now is that what we're going to go down. I, I think they're still split, which is no, why... but I think that's okay. Like, the Classics doesn't overlap with Grand Tours. Today. No, 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 but I so just So it's mean... fine to have two teams when you have 30 riders. Like, perfectly fine for them to develop a second source of points, right? I just think some teams have 
a strong identity. Mm -hmm. Like even, you know, like Dakunik, like they're a classics team, but they've done well in other things, but that's their identity. Like Correct. They don't have a particular No, they identity. don't have a, yeah, they don't have an identity. I mean, besides trying to get some stages, you know, they were trying. Like, they were they, in, they were always in breakaways. That was kind of, they're a breakaway team. Yeah. And so Roman Bardet came along and then they became focused on GC and they tried to do that and they just never had the support. You know, again, no fault of their own. They don't have the same budget as other teams that really go after Grand Tours, so they have to make the best of what they have, almost like a Moneyball situation. But, yeah, they're not... You know, it was a great analogy you brought up with Groupama. Like, they worked together and built, worked on their weaknesses, and I just don't see that with AG2R. They kind of feel... Maybe it's Roman Bardet in particular, but you read some interviews, and he's very much like... Oh, I'm a superior climber. I don't need to worry about that stuff. I'll make up my time losses. In the <laughs> it mountains. never works. And then he always loses time. Like you see these, like the one, you know, some of those stages where they finish on uphill and he's like behind Froome or something. It's like, you can't lean on your mountain climbing when the people who are putting time into you in the time trials are beating you on climbing stages. Yeah. So I just didn't like his attitude. I remember the second year he came back to the tour and they interviewed him at like the barber or something. And he was just such an, a snob. And like, I just, Never liked him after Are that. Are you saying the French have a superior superiority? Dude, that's why I love that segment so much. It was <laughs> so know. perfect. Like, it's so funny that, like, their identities are, like, bred like that. But it's a lot of the times it's true, whether it's a stereotype or whatever. Yeah, I think it's good that he decided to, uh, speaking of Bardet, like, decide to take a break from the tour and go to the Giro. I don't know if that was his decision or the team's or what, but I think it was the right one because last year's tour, he looked like shit. Yeah, you got to shake things up. Well, he just, each year he he regressed. And so oh, no, I think yeah. it was like, we need to do something else with you because you're not cutting it. And you obviously know that as well. Like you're just not motivated for it anymore or whatever. And so, I mean, this year it was beautiful. It's a great race to go to anyway. And I don't know if he's ever done it. So it was, it was a good change of pace for him. And unfortunately it hasn't mapped out that way. We'll see if that's still on his agenda. I still think the Giro is the right choice for him. I don't think he's built for the Tour anymore. Yeah, and I think it makes sense where they're bringing Latour to the TDF or to the Tour de France mm -hmm. just because he's a younger rider, he has potential, and he's done well. So Yeah, last year's Vuelta, he looked great. Yeah, I mean, he was looked like he was sixth in the time trial, a minute or so behind uh, Roger... I'm not going to be able to say that ever. <laughs> I was so, I, I was so hoping that was you. I, I was so hoping that would happen. It's Primo's Roglic. I, I, you know, I can't say it. Just call him Ski Jumper. Right. Everyone else calls him. Did you know he ski jumped? Never heard of it. I always love that on Reddit. There is like, someone always brings it up. Anyway, yeah, he got sixth in that time trial. And it was 36 kilometers. So in today's standards, a pretty long one. And to be sixth, that's pretty impressive. And only a minute or so behind Roglic. Like, that's already miles, like a minute at least ahead of Bardet. Yeah, you know, so, <laughs> yeah. and then he got third on stage 13. That was the one where he finished just behind Pojakar and Roglic. And he finished with the group that included like Belverde and Nairo. And so it was a decent group to finish in and only 20 seconds back. So that was really good. And he finished ahead of Lopez another 30 or 40 seconds. So Yeah, who might be going to a different team. I, I saw that. It's true. Announced I, on there. I don't. I don't. It like didn't it. have too much information, so I was like, "Yeah." And it was also in a language I couldn't read. But <laughs> I don't like Lopez. But that's the story for when we get to Astana. Uh, but yeah, so I think he's has the potential, and you see him do some stuff in these races, and he has some of the pieces. He has he can time trial decently, and maybe he'll focus on that and try to grow that a little bit. And he can also climb, and so I think he does have. I think it's reasonable for HD2. I don't think he's going to win, but I think it's reasonable for HD, HD, uh, 
AG2, I keep saying H, AG2R to bring him to the tour over Bardet because he can at least top 10. Yeah, and I, I feel like the thought, which which should be, you know, two years, that's that's when you could probably win if you if we bring you in now and maybe the team will be ready then. Yeah, unfortunately, the world doesn't have two years. Latour doesn't have two years to wait because there's other riders coming up. Well, so yeah. he's just in a position where he should never expect to win, but it, he could try to his hardest to podium. No offense to Latour. I just don't... Don't, this take is away, too, don't take away the next great hope, dude. It's too much competition. But yeah, that'll be interesting to see how he does. Yeah. So that, that, that's a, something to look forward to for AG2R, and I think it's been a while that they've had a Tour de France they looked forward to. Yeah, so kind of move on to their young riders. Not really like that much to speak of on there. Yeah, I didn't see any young riders. So again, our young rider classification for me is I look at everyone from 23 and younger, and I look at their last year's results and see if there is any, you know. Anything that stands out. Yeah, anything that stands out. I look at, basically what I look at is I'm on pro cycling stats. I go to 28, 19 or whatever, scroll to the bottom and see how many points they have. And if they have over like 200, then I go back and look and see what they placed in and, you know, just see if anything pops out. Because, you know, if they're just getting 30 points, they're not winning a race. Yeah. Like, you know, there's no point in talking about it. They have a bunch of ninths or something like that. You're like, all yeah, right. Yeah, it's like, yeah, we'll see. If, if he's going to be good, we'll, we'll hear about him. But these are the ones that have potential already joining the ranks. Yeah. So I did, there was none. And then real quick, we wanted to touch base. You know, like we had said, they're starting to build up a little bit of a classic side of their team. So they have Oliver Nason. They brought on his brother now. So they have two Belgians on a mostly French team. And then I always thought it was so funny when he was on this team and he won the uh, Belgian championships because I always thought, just think of a Belgian world, uh, the Belgian champion is like on a French team. It just seemed really out of place. Yeah, it seemed like he should be on de Koenig. Yeah. And so to, for him not to be is kind of strange. I don't know if there's like a reason for that or just happenstance or whatever, but it is weird. But yeah, they are seeming to build that up. They have... So Vendillier, who got second, notably, in the Paris-Roubaix behind Sagan, and everyone was like, why were you helping him? It's like, what else am I going to do? Yeah, it's like, do you want second or nothing? Yeah. So that was a pretty cool race. And then so they have those two guys, and they're kind of building that side. And I think that's good. You need two prongs on your team, I think. You're either going to go full sprint, which gives you access across the whole calendar. Yeah. And then GC is only a couple times on the calendar. And Classics is the first half of the calendar. And so if you're going to do GC, then I think the natural pairing is sprints or, or Classics. So Yeah, and, and if you're focusing on Classics, you have guys that you don't need to put on your GC team for a sprint train. They could either domestiques. They can be domestiques or they can go off on their own and, mm-hmm. and be in breaks because those guys usually know how to put in like a one one day kind of classics long effort and they're also good road captains and other things like there's plenty of reasons you want a classic squad on your team i think because they have a lot more benefits to your team on grand tours or whatever yeah and the last kind of the same with the young riders just not too many for um 2020 results as of yet yeah Um, nothing at least notable there was i think a couple um different french races but they they weren't world tour level or anything like that. Yeah, not a race you would have heard of in the in the states anyway. Now our favorite, better or worse? Where were we at for uh, for better or their ranking last year? Uh, thirteenth. Thirteen. I mean, again, this season's just really weird. Well, like but... fourteen victories. 
I'm well, gonna, I'm saying... I'm sticking with... They have two World Tour stage wins last season. Like, that's kind of pegging on that. Because right now, we only have World okay. Tour races. So, two World Tour... I mean... I'm going to say even. I'm going to say they're going to get two. Yeah, I, I feel you. I don't expect them to... I think they're going to get one or two as well. Just Maybe just, they get three, but like it, it'll just be, I think... It's not going to be a major thing. I mean, they could get a stage in, in a Grand Tour, but I don't think it's going to be anything super big. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm just going to go to worse. I think they're going to get one World Tour. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, that, let's uh, bid farewell to AG2R and go to Team Bahrain McLaren, one of our favorite teams. I mean, our favorite, one of our favorite kits. That's not true. Not people. Yeah. I, it looks <laughs> really cool, but not in person. Yeah. Mostly because you see it from the back. Yeah. All right, let's get into it. 2019, they were ranked 12th, which was down 6 from 2018. So, you know, they're going to be a slaughter here. They had 16 victories last year, 7 in the World Tour, um, all stages, and 2 of them in the Grand Tours. So all single stages, uh, no, like, big races, no classics or something like that. 2018, they had 28 victories and 4 World Tours. So kind of weird. It looks like they had a lot less victories, but they had a lot better quality. Yeah. So, you know, they lost ranking, but they won a lot better races. So I don't know. I'd, I'd kind of take that. Um, their identity, same thing as AG2R. They're GC-focused and stages. Yeah, and their signings, their key signings, that is, are Mikel Landa, Wout Poles, Dylan Toons, Phil Bauhaus, and Mark Cavendish. Their losses uh, will be Nibali, uh, Rohan Dennis, and Domenico Pozzovivo. Whew, I messed that up. I put Dennis Rohan. Yeah, I, I got it. I got it. We're good. Cool, you're good. <laughs> yeah. Oh uh, yeah, key riders, Landa, Poles, Cavendish, Tunes. I don't know if they signed Bajas this year. I think I accidentally put him in the I think I put them in the key signings and you're messing the with riders. me, man. I messed it up. Anyway. I don't I think they probably had Cavendish on there last year too. No, they picked him up this year. Did they? Yeah. Oh, okay. Because he was on uh, Dimension Day that we talked about that uh, where like yeah. they finally got rid of him and I, oh, he was God. such a warping force. Anyway. But yeah, uh Tunes, Bajas, Landa, Powell's, and just by default, I have to mention Cavendish as a key rider, even though I don't want to. Uh, but let's get right into your thoughts. Uh, I mean, I don't like a lot of the riders on there, but there's some of them I guess I do right. Like, it's another one of those teams where it's, it's a newer team, um, and they haven't done anything in particular. Like, they've won a few stages, but they're not, they don't, you know, they want to be a Grand Tour team, but they haven't proven anything in that yet. Mm -hmm. So it's hard, I don't know, like, I guess it should still be a personal opinion, but I don't know. Yeah. I, uh, so when they were, so Bahrain McLaren is the new version of the team, right? And so before they were Bahrain Merida, and they had, you know. Still have Bahrain, and then they brought in McLaren, and so they kind of switched ownership a little bit, but not too much. And it seemed like Brain Marina, when they first started, they had that same goal, like, we want to compete in Grand Tours, and, you know, the thing is, it's not easy. It's really difficult. And so, to come in here and say, we're just going to throw money at this, and we're going to win, just shows it's not that easy. And it didn't happen for them, and they did have some good victories, but they had, in my opinion, riders that were sort of in their prime, but more towards the end of their prime, and I'm talking about Nibley. He just, 
I've never been a fan of Vincenzo Nibley, and it's unfortunate he's on my team. I would say, yeah. Um, not really happy with that. And on Pro Cycling Stats, they have him listed as the first picture writer. And I'm like, it just drives me nuts. But anyway, we'll get to that next week. But they pinned all their hopes on him, and he just never was going to win. The year he won his, his Tour de France was the year a bunch of people crashed out. And so the competition was a lot lower, and he would have finished in third or fourth if that didn't happen. And so I just, you know, he's great in the Italian races, and the Italians love him or whatever, and they just never got there. And so I liked their style, and I liked his team, not Vincenzo. But I liked, you know, I love Dominique Pozzavivo. He's like a really cool rider to me. And so seeing some of their domestiques and support groups scatter out and, and do other things, I, I really liked that part of them. But yeah, I never liked their leaders. I wonder, I just had a thought of, based on like their location, where they're like in the Middle East, do you think that riders don't want to go there? Because a lot of them, you know, like love living in Monaco and like they... Well, I don't know where they're based. I don't know if that really makes a difference. Like, I don't think Astana riders, like, based I don't know, but Astana. they have to go, they have to go there for different training camps like different like Possibly. press events and different they're just like I, you know like i don't really want to go over there like just distance wise and everything like yeah it's like if you're fun. on an australian team like you're going to be doing some things there or you know all yeah. those guys have to come over like i just wonder if if that comes into play because like you were saying they come in and they want to throw money at it and maybe there just wasn't the same available writers but it's like you didn't pull the best of the best or anything like that that yeah. were around so it's like you know is there a reason why yeah it'll go be there well that brings a good point because they brought on rod ellingworth who was one of the director sportifs for sky and so yeah he's worked with landa and he's worked with what poles and cavendish so he has this relationship with these guys and he's also worked for one of the best teams in the peloton in the past decade so maybe you know, with McLaren coming on and they've kind of switched team leaders and stuff, like they're kind of going through a change and maybe they're going, all right, let's try something different. Yeah. You know, you get a new team manager and the team manager definitely has a big impact on how the team develops, which is why we're thinking NTT is going to have a lot better season because of Bjorn Reese, that kind of stuff. So I think there's a lot of, the owners have some amount, depending on how much involvement they want to be in, but it, if they're taking a hands-off approach and just giving the money, like they need to have good team management in place. And I don't know if they had that before. Yeah. So we'll see. Uh, as far as their two key signings with Wout Poles and Landa, I think they're both just two past their prime. Landa's 30, Wout Poles is 32. And as we've seen from the Star documentary, I don't like Landa at all. Like <laughs> sometimes he can be really good in a race in a specific stage of a Grand Tour, but he's not consistent across the entire thing. And he's very weak. In the like sense he's of, weak in the mind. Yeah, as soon as he has a bad day, really he gets in a slump for three or four days and he can't just let it go, which is not easy and that's just a, a, a way it is. But the people who win these are able to handle adversity and just push on. Well, and yeah, and it means obviously I'm talking shit, but like I'm not just pulling it from nowhere. He like in that documentary said like basically he let I it don't I don't want the like team director yelling at me. Like I, I can't you know, I can't do it. Like, mm -hmm. I got to take out my earpiece. Like, and like that's what they're saying. Like, you know, he can't do that. Yeah. So I feel like that's another one that goes back to the pressure and everything like that. It's Well, you even said the other thing. It's like, I let it get to me and I let it bring my attitude down. Like, he's he lets it affect him. And like, it's yeah. just, he can't win a Grand Tour if he still has that as an issue. 
I don't think you can. Yeah, while like regardless Paul's... of your, you know, physical ability. Oh, for sure. While Paul's on the other hand, I like him. He's always been a great domestique for Ineos and Sky. But I think it's like the Richie Port thing. He didn't leave Sky until he was at like 32, and I think it's just too late. He yeah. should have left when he was 30. And so I think his best years are behind him, and I don't know if he can win the tour. You know, maybe he could compete at a Vuelta or a Giro, depending on who shows up, but the Grand, but the Tour de France is too competitive, and now with, you know, the younger guys coming up, when you have Bernal, like, I just, there's just no way. Yeah, and I, I feel like he's also just an unknown, where he's never really had the pressure on him, he's never really been the one to, like, not even pressure, but he's never been the one, like, from day one, I'm going out, and the team's going to support me, like, We've never seen that from him, so it's he could do great, he could not, but yeah, there are a lot of younger guys mm-hmm. where they're they've been doing this already, and they're younger. You know, they're six six years younger, eight years younger, and they've already been been a leader, and so they they know how to handle it. They know how to work. There's already a team that's been built around them. Like, mm-hmm. it's got to be tough. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I agree. That's a, that's a good point. As far as Cavendish goes, you know, he's joined this team sort of because McLaren wanted him on the team, it seems like. Uh, they came in as a sponsor, kind of, it seemed like those two went hand in hand. Kind of like Specialized and Sagan, wherever Sagan yeah. goes, Specialized goes, because they pay port- a portion of his salary. Mm-hmm. I get the feeling the same thing happened with Cavendish and McLaren. He's like him, hate him, love him, whatever you feel about Mark Cavendish, he is a big draw. Uh, as far yeah. as media and other things, he's a very popular writer. Even though he's 35 and pretty close to the end of his career, I think this is his last contract, in my opinion. Unless, again, I, I think he was signed just as a vanity signing for McLaren, and they wanted him there. And perfectly fine. I don't know what his expectations are. I mean, obviously, he's a a very competitive sprinter, and he feels like he wants to race and win. You know, that's what he's there for. He's not there just to soft pedal around but he has had a rough three or four or five years now i was like good luck you got a sprinter in Bauhaus that's 10 years younger mm-hmm. and doing well recently yeah yeah he had a great uh what was that the saudi tour that new race he won two stages in the overall so he's up and coming and i think they're going to build around him as far as sprinting i think they're going to give cavendish some shots but i think they're going to let the road talk and yeah. i just don't expect cavendish to have the ability to do it at 35. No, and I, and I think a big like tell on that is him just last year unless there was some you know severe medical thing like he was just not even finishing races like mm-hmm. left and right and then he's you know bummed to be left out of the tour and it's like you you did nothing leading up to the tour you did nothing while like rate you were racing whatever you're racing while the tour is going on like how do you expect the, I mean, is your well, motivation just going to jump up like a million and then yeah. you're going to be great? Like, well, I mean, he wants to honor the tour. I mean, I think he has I a, a Kofidis sort of approach to the tour. He feels that he's just going to get an invite because of who he is and his Palmar, which, you know, as far as just looking at it on paper, this guy's won 20 stages. Like, of course, like, oh, that makes sense. But yeah. when you actually look at it and look at results and look at form, like he just hasn't had it. You know, he's had a lot of illness. And it had like Epstein Barr and Mono, you know, he's had a lot of bad health issues and bad luck in that regard that's affected his performance. And so the last few years he hasn't been able to do anything. But 
I, I we'll see. I mean, I never want him to do poorly. I I would love to see him win a race or, or do well. Like I don't hate the guy, but I just don't I expect do. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And then you got Bajas is doing well. And then you got Dylan Tunes, who's had a pretty great season so far, and he's building up. He's twenty eight. He loves classic style racing, and he'll be a great domestique for the tour. But you know, he had a great route to Seoul. Yeah, I mean, because he can climb well, you know, in those shorter, punchier things. And I think, what did he win the the time trial in there as well? Yeah. Another guy, you know, focus on the time trial. But, I mean, he's just got that great power on there, yeah. you know, regardless. And I think he's capable of winning, like, a, you know, a stage race, like a one-week thing or whatever. Yeah. But I, I don't know what his, his thoughts are. I don't think he really is trying to go for that stuff. I think he likes stage hunting and winning stages and also trying for classics and... I could see him being very on par with like Shockman, who like won the Perry Nice. Like I, I could see that working well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that route to Seoul was a really cool. I think that was probably one of my favorite races of the season. Not to get too far off tangent there, but that was just a cool race. Yeah. Yeah, I think that about buttons it up. Uh, real quick, better or worse for them? They had seven World Tour victories last year. Worse. Yeah, I don't expect them to do much. I'm on the same train. I think they'll get a couple. I don't know if Route to Seoul counts as that or whatever. They had one Pyrenees stage from a young rider. I don't know if Route to Seoul is classified as a world tour race. Uh, even that's only two stages. That's only two wins. If that's just assume they're both one, like that's still five more wins. I just don't not with them. not with what how short the season is and yeah. I think they'll get two or three more stages, uh, races in the World Tour. Well, but I'm pretty sure a fair amount of those wins came from Rohan Dennis as well, like in time, time trials. trials and stuff. Did Nibali have any big victories last season? Uh, I don't know. I'm it's still sure. surprising he won in San Remo. That was pretty cool. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I don't see it happening with what's left and, you know, with who's who left the team and everything like that. I, I don't think so. I, mean, I don't know. Like Landa and Poles could. Landa's a great guy to win a stage, but not a yes. Race. So there, there's a the possibility there. But I mean, they could do great. I just don't expect them to win five more times this year. Not in this season, anyway. Yeah, I can't wait for the season. I mean, you keep saying like you know it's like because it's so short and this and that. And it's like, man, I wanted to start to see like what's going to come of it. Who's actually doing well? Who comes in with form? I think this will be one of the most exciting years of racing because if you look at the way the races were near the end, they were like, Perinese was a great race. And, th- you know, they had the UAE tour was super intense. Like, those races were intense because everyone kind of knew this was it. It was a classic. So it was a one-day race every day. Yep. And then I think what's going to happen here, it's a short three-month period or closer to four there's very few races. I think they're all going to be full gas all the time. So it'll, I think it's going to be a very exciting season. But even if it sucked, I'm still excited to see bike racing. Oh, yeah. Anything. Anything's fine. Yeah. Well, finishes up this week. Next week, we're going to finish uh, or continue our breakdowns on the teams. We have Trek Segafredo and EF Education, and that as well as Lance Part 2, The Fall. <laughs> Probably. <It's true. laughs> I, uh, I'm going to be shocked. Um <laughs> Yeah, and then whatever else pops up. But those are the three things we're covering for sure. So until next week, see ya. See ya.